and welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Imagine a department store where you can shop for what you need and then at the end pay what you can. Maybe that's still a few months or years out, but for restaurants, this already exists. In this hour, we will introduce you to Pay What You Can, to the Pay What You Can restaurant. Fantastic story coming up right here today on An Organic Conversation. We're your hosts, Helga Helberg. Mark Bokehi. And Sita Rani Palomar. Yeah, I wanted to, before we dive into the episode today, pick up on a conversation that Mark and I were having in the office just the other day that I thought was so interesting. It was about the creative process of writing versus typing. Right? Because Mark and I are the kinds of people who carry <laughs> notepads with us everywhere. Everything we do, we're writing down. But we were talking about, you know, I remember hearing when I was younger and computers were just coming on, everybody was doing things on word processors that I said, I feel more creative when I write it by hand. There's something about that like cathartic movement that gets me going. And Mark, you had a different take. Well, I used to be on an airplane writing 800,000, 1,500-word articles on a yellow pad. And then I would give that to somebody to type or I would start typing it, right? And I lost my first article. I got it all in Word and forgot to save it and landed it and there was nothing there. Oh, and shit. just oh about uh, oh, wanted to great. jump. Um, oh. But then I realized... Jump the two feet. Yeah, jump the two feet. Yeah, jump the two feet. Yeah, it wouldn't have done uh, anything. Yeah, but the, the, the reality is, is what happened was when I became more comfortable with the computer is I realized that my creative process was actually greater because I could stop plug something in there or go grab something that I needed for the article via or, the internet. Yeah. Via mm. the internet or use spell check or that type of thing. And I actually encouraged my creative process because I was, I was able to use words that I didn't you know, fully know and things like that. And I actually think that because of taking a chance, because of going past the barrier that I'd put up for myself, like I said, the, this is the only way I can be creative with is on this yellow pad. And I actually took a chance. And by taking a chance, it actually proved that I'm, I'm actually more creative using a different tool. Now, I still carry a yellow pad and always yeah, right. will. Um, but for that type of process, because I was willing to look at something differently... Um, I actually write better. Now, I still need an editor, but that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> well, Helga, you are actually in the process of writing a book right now. What yes, is your experience I, with this topic? I do use a computer, um, uh, but I hear you, Sita. I do think, um, uh, you know, I can very much relate to Wendell Berry, agricultural poet. Um, he only writes shorthand, and then he has somebody to transcribe his notes. He says that there's something that transfers from the hand and the actual little pressure onto the paper from the pen that is much more than us hitting a keyboard. And in his writing, it's really tangible for me. It's um, it's somehow slower, more thought out, because a fast person typing, and you know, sometimes I'm just flabbergasted what people can do speed-wise on a keyboard, um, I actually think they can write faster than than I could think. So it's nice to allow the time to have an incredibly well-formulated thought. Um, and that really comes through in Wendell Berry's writings for me. Uh, it's somehow more precious. High, uh, mind, hand, pen, paper, or in his case, mind, hand, pen, paper, assistant. Um, it's really <laughs> it's really beautiful. Um, I am writing my book on a computer, and I miss a little bit that, you know, physical pressure on paper um, but it's taking already uh, much longer than I thought and I do the practicality of a computer is wonderful I think it t 
for me, it depends on the style or the type of what you're writing. If you write poetry, I would do it shorthand. That's the that's the, I was just going to say. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to because I have the good fortune of seeing <laughs> some of this work that Helga is already putting into sure. his book. Sure. There is a lot. It's very lyrical. There is a lot of poetry in what you're writing mm. already. So I I challenge that a little Thank bit. You. I agree with both of you that maybe the function of the writing will dictate which is more creative for you. But I have seen two success that you can write something poetic yeah, but on a computer too. You, it is more precious when you put pen on paper because you don't have, um, you know, 60 edit functions. You, you really need to, at least your brain, I think works harder to make the sentence more mature already. There's something really fluid, really. I, I totally uh, get that. Yeah. And, and so, and, but I agree if it's an article that, you know, 400 words, it's more descriptive, and I think the computer is an amazing tool, obviously. Um, but if if you have ever written a poem with your hand, there's just the act of writing itself. It doesn't even matter what the final poem says. It's so beautiful. All my it's poetry so that I write is all done on a pad first, yeah. and it goes through three or four different iterations, and then finally it gets over to the computer where I might or play hand, with it. Or handwritten letter to a friend. You know, we right. so my email, favorite. zip, zip, back, back. You know, the moment you write a real card or a real letter, a couple pages, oh, I get what a treasure. So yeah. there's yeah. something about Well, the, the beauty for me is that it's really worth writing it by hand, even though it takes more time to then trend Describe it mm -hmm. into a computer. What I get out of the process of writing it makes that time worth it. But obviously, there are lots of different perspectives on this topic. So, and I tell you what, I just want to that you just brought up something that I have a couple of friends who I handwrite letters to, and I get handwritten letters back. And I tell oh. you what, I get email. We all get a hundred emails. We all get all this stuff. But that time of pen, hand to pen to paper that you got when you get sent that in Assistant. the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Assistant, yeah. yeah something beautiful. very special. Very, very precious. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And today we're hoping that may all be fed. We're in conversation with a woman who started a pay-what-you-can restaurant. You learn about the failure or success of that concept and about the community response. It's a great story, that and more, when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. SPUD stands for Sustainable Produce Urban Delivery. SPUD delivers the highest quality organic produce and the best locally sourced grocery items one can find directly to your doorstep. It's easy, it's convenient, and it supports your local economy. On every delivery day, SPUD takes at least 100 cars off the road that would have otherwise been driving to the grocery store. Reduce your carbon footprint, save time, and save money when grocery shopping with SPUD. Place your order today at spud.com. That's S-P-U-D.com. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. 
Fry Organic and Biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And don't fear the sunshine. Uh-uh. Cause everything's better in the summertime, summertime. And it's never too late to stop the day over. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Bouquet. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic today is May All Be Fed. Pay what you can. The pay what you can restaurant concept. Yes, you heard right. Um, the, the pay what you can restaurant where no one is required to pay if they can't. Can that really work? Well, we'll find out in just a minute. But as always, we're starting off the show with our weekly tip from the world of health and beauty. Here's Chef Sita a.k.a. Sitarani Palomar and her holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. And for our listeners out there, that is that is not a pre-made sound effect. That's actually Helga making that noise. We had a comment about that the oh, other day. I can day. do it all day. Yeah, you can. We can have that be its own show. Yes. <laughs> well... <laughs> this week, I actually, I've been reading this really interesting article that was in the New York Times recently about um, the the food manufacturing tycoons, the biggest packaged food industry that had gotten together to talk about the childhood obesity and what the role of packaged food was in it. And somewhere in the article, they kind of alluded to this magic formula about what makes these snack foods so addictive. And it was something like the ratio of fat to salt, plus how much crunch is in the product. And, you know, that's a really, really interesting topic to get into. But what it did for me, in addition, was get me thinking about whether or not it's possible when we want to have a snack, could we apply a similar formula to healthier options to get that same satisfaction? And what came to mind for me was kale chips. You know, they're they're everywhere now. In every market shelf, you're seeing kale chips from a, a ton of different makers. There are lots of great recipes for them. You know, it's really simple to make at home. And for me, at least, it's become a little bit of an addictive snack. But I feel great about it because kale is so good for you. It's rich in fiber. It's got tons of vitamins and minerals in it. And there are lots of varieties of kale. You could do curly kale. You could do dinosaur kale. You could do red Russian kale. So it's the basic recipe for this is you, you tear... You you rinse your kale, dry your kale well, tear it into these kind of hand size pieces, maybe your palm size pieces, and then toss it with a cold pressed organic extra virgin olive oil and some really nice mineral rich sea salt. And then you dry it and you can either dry it in the oven at low temperatures or you can put it in a dehydrator if you want to keep it raw. And the result is just, it's it's like a potato chip, actually, but it's not potato. It's not packaged. It's not starchy. It's actually vegetable. And so this is, for me, the foundation of a really great snack, not just because the basis of it is produce, which is rich in vitamins and minerals, but also because it's the beginning of how creative you can get with this kind of a snack. You could use, and I did this when I made like four batches of kale chips the other night. I used sesame oil on one of the batches, and the flavor was out outrageously good. So good. You could use different herb salts. You could put nutritional yeast on it, which is really rich in B vitamins. And a lot of people like to put um, nutritional yeast in their kale chips because it's kind of got a cheesy flavor to it. 
You could even do this exact same thing with zucchini. There's so many creative places to begin with this basic idea of a, you know, like a healthy fats, good for you, mineral rich sea salts, and then a vegetable that you make crunchy. So anyway, that's this week's holistic bite. I hope it encourages you to think outside the snack bag. And I think I probably stole that from somebody's advertisement, but that's this week's that's, holistic bite. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> Think outside the snack bag. And Mark, you've been grinning all over. Of course, it always comes down to produce. Well, every single I, show. I was going to let you say it, so now that it's been said, I can, I can chime in. Well, you know, two of my friends, this is interesting that you're bringing this up, because two of my friends, uh, Alan and Carolee, both who, Carolee lives in Canada, Alan lives here in the Bay Area, both make their own kale chips, and she uses a dehydrator from her homegrown kale, mm, and they nice. eat all their homegrown kale via the dehydrator and kale chips. Chip. They eat bags and bags and bags all season long, right? And they and she's actually got it down to a science. She says, "My friend Alan does it in his oven, like you were mentioning. And I guess his his thermometer doesn't quite always keep the right temperature, so that one chip will turn out, one won't. So the interesting thing is, is they're both still keep going, keep going and doing it and loving it and stuff like that. So." Yeah, it's such a fun thing and so great. His and Alan's kids love them, right? Oh yeah, kids particularly. Well, especially because what prompted this for me was this New York Times article uh-huh. about childhood obesity and the role that the snack food industry is playing in it. Yeah, and and you know when you, when we talk about fat, sugar, and salt and that perfect combination that gets us addicted or gets children addicted, I you know I've been there. I know exactly what it feels like when you when you finish that bag of chips, you want that bar of chocolate. It's almost mm. you you know ping ponging back between salt sweet, salt sweet. Yeah, and. And then the kale salad, you know, doesn't seem appealing. It doesn't have enough wombs, you know, it doesn't have enough um, flavor one way or the other. So when you go into kale chips and um, then that is your world and you you fine tune your flavor profile or your, your, your um, you know, flavor experience in your mouth. And then now for me, kale chips are, you know, as yummy, if not yummier. I mean, there's no I don't miss anything when I eat, you know, when when you train yourself to eat vegetables in whatever form. Even as kale chips, you don't miss highly processed um, foods at all. But once you're in the processed food world, they figured it out to you know to sell as much product. And who can blame them? I mean, that's that's the goal of the company to sell product. So it has become a science, unfortunately for the obesity um, epidemic in the country. But um, yeah, kale chips. Thank you, Sita. That's. Uh, you, your weekly update from the world of beauty, well-being, and fashion, The Holistic Bite, Chef Sita, a.k.a. Sita Rani Palomar. And as always, The Holistic Bite is brought to you by the natural beauty company Echo Bella. Echo Bella offers a wonderful line of body care products and intelligent cosmetics, which means that, of course, all of Echo Bella's products are preservative-free, gluten-free, and cruelty-free. Check it out, echobella.com. And I just wanted to throw in because I think they have a really interesting offer that's outside of their body care and their cosmetics. They also do these home fragrance that are essential oil based, and I'm crazy about essential oils. So I really like that if you're somebody who wants a spray of some kind, that check out their Echo Mist. They're having a special this month. Yes, Echo Bella, E-C-C-O-B-E-L-L-A dot com. Um, check it out and let us know what you think. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hellberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. We had a show on hip-hop meeting the green movement last week, music and message 
change. Hip-hop goes green. The efforts of one man, Keith Tucker, to change the world of youth obesity in disenfranchised communities all around the country by bringing together hip-hop, expressionistic art, and food education. Check out that show, which is now available as a podcast on anorganicconversation.com or iTunes, where you can also subscribe to An Organic Conversation and get the show weekly delivered for free, no charge, into your iTunes account. Today we are talking about a different effort to bring together community through the actual act of eating. In 2003, a woman in Salt Lake City, Utah, had the crazy idea of opening a restaurant where it is left up to the patrons to decide how much they want to pay for their meal. This was the beginning of the One World Cafe, where nobody goes home hungry. But much more than a soup kitchen, the concept is actually supported by some people who can pay more for their meal. Can this work in a country that embraces capitalism as the perfect answer to everything? Here's the amazing story of Denise Serretta and her One World Cafe. Welcome, Denise. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you, um, you're calling in from Salt Lake City, yes? I'm actually calling in from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Are you um, are you training new cafes like the One World Cafe um, in New Mexico right now? Well, I have met with a few people here in New Mexico, and, and the vibe is actually mobile food trucks here, but I actually moved to New Santa Fe in July. So the idea of a restaurant that allows people to pay what they can or nothing at all if they can't um, or work for a healthy, delicious meal flies in the face of conventional wisdom and for certain uh, capitalism. Uh, where were you in your life and how did this idea come about? Tell us uh, the story of how this started, the One World Cafe that mm -hmm. you began in 2003. Well, Briefly, I was an acupuncturist practicing in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I really felt like I had hit my spiritual glass ceiling. And my intuition told me in order to grow, I needed to close my practice. And that was just a huge leap, you know, if you think about all the, everything that goes into to that profession. But, and prior to that, I woke up one morning thinking I should sell some coffee and round out my clinic and put a little cafe in, in the front of the building because I believe some people weren't sick, they were lonely. And that was an undiagnosed illness in our, in our country. So I took the leap, I closed my clinic, I went into the cafe a couple months, and, and I was cooking and serving all the food and asking people how much, you know, the portion size they wanted. And a couple months into it, I had a field of dreams moment if any of you remember that movie. Mm -hmm. Baseball. <laughs> Only it was <laughs> exactly. It was, it, I really sort of heard with my spiritual ears, go to donations, let people price their own meals. And I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Sorry, wrong channel. What was that again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. What? It's a good thing I love that movie. You know, I've so many times, but it was really happening to me, so I thought, oh, my word. But the next person that came through the door after that experience, I just was, I was a bit shell-shocked that I was like, no more pricing, just price your own. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I felt my heart 
expand, and I really realized, oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to do next. It's so funny. And that's really, in a nutshell, how it happened. It's. Uh, it, I think the story goes: build it, and they will come and and play. In this case, it's build it, and they will come and pay. Yeah. But, um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so was your heart kind of like, really. like the Grinch's when you know that oh, Christmas special that where all of a sudden it's just growing and growing and growing, and then it breaks out of the barrier. And, <laughs> exactly, and I can't believe you said that because that's usually the story I tell. I was like that Grinch holding the. Holding oh my the gosh. Well, you were far from a Grinch, but when you started. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So I... In our research for the for the show today, I I was reading uh, an article about some of your other um, experiences in life, and one thing particularly struck struck me, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about kindness in your life and how kindness given to you helped you know helped to create or guide your direction in life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are many levels of kindness that, that have happened in my life. Um, first of all, I was adopted at six months old into a very loving family, and my father was a big humanitarian. So I believe that was an ultimate kindness that happened to me. And as far as food-related, I remember as a young child thinking, gee, if everybody gave me a dollar, I could I could wipe out hunger. <laughs> I mean, what child thinks that? But mm. And I do remember we took a family vacation once, and I really had uh, my first really um, experience of a random act of kindness. We were at a farmer's market outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I remember there was this really big strawberry. I mean, huge strawberry. And I guess my eyes bugged out, and I asked my father if I could have them, and he's like, oh, no, they, you know, they're way too expensive. And I, this was probably the, the 60s or 70s, and they were probably like close to $3 for a tiny little pint. And um, we were walking to the car, and I remember some young man ran after my father and said, you know, I hope you don't mind. I've never seen a, a young girl's eyes get so big. I thought, I thought your daughter needs strawberry. <laughs> and 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 truly, from that act of kindness that that stranger did for me, really put the first little bit of fertilizer on the seed that that was in me and in many other people to um, try to do our part to create more food security in the world. So it was really, really, truly beautiful. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we are in conversation with Denise Serretta, who started the One World Cafe, um, a restaurant concept where you can actually eat and pay what you think the meal was worth, pay what you can, or even volunteer for your food. And Denise, are we pronouncing your last name correctly? Is it Coretta or Serretta? It's Serretta. Serretta. Okay, great. I want to go back to what you were saying about that moment when you invited somebody into the cafe and said, no pricing, <laughs> price your own meal. What was the response? How was this somewhat new, possibly radical idea received by not just this individual, but the community that you were in? And, and what kind of was like the emotional state of your customers who were being welcomed with this really, really new way of enjoying food? Mm-hmm. Well, the first person I remember, her name was Kelly, and she was a very spiritual person. So 
she was, her eyes got really big and she was a bit, a bit shell-shocked in the moment as I was, but, you know, she accepted that. And, but when it first started, it was really an anomaly. No one had done that before. And the community thought, you know, first they saw me be an acupuncturist then you know, close my clinic and start, you know, run a cafe, do dishes. And now I was like giving the food away. <laughs> yeah. Good business woman. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like she knows on the sidelines with a straight jacket, but, <laughs> but, um, so the community thought it, it, it wouldn't work. It was ahead of its time. And I was really committed. I said, no, it's right in time. And this is going to work or it's going to kill me. You know, <laughs> the two things is going to happen. But, uh, as time went on, which what, what was interesting is it did work. And then in 2006, people started to replicate the model and, um, the shift in the whole community and really the community really being responsible for for helping make this happen because truly it's all, it's all about community so we we took this pride on and this stewardship of this project so in 2003 you started that restaurant Salt Lake City the response was at least skepticism some people got it um, it, it's really an invitation to kind of a higher consciousness, reminding me very much actually um, of the, the the German healthcare system, where the younger generation pays for the older, and that has been the case and has been financially viable um, for you know fifty, sixty years now. Um, so, for people who can afford a meal and who can't spend a dollar more or two dollars more to make sure that the other person who doesn't have two dollars more can still have that same meal. Um, it, it 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 you made it work. Uh, how how did it really pan out financially? I'm sure the first month were stressful of you not knowing where this would come down. But um, was it really um, embraced by the community after a while enough that people got it as an invitation to be generous and um, and 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 it panned out financially? Yes. Now I started in 2000. So prior to 2008, which I think our whole country, if not world, experienced an economic turn, um, the cafe was very sustainable and made a surplus. And there, I think most, most people got it. The point I want to make is, too, just by coming and paying a fair, suggested price, you're really, there's a little built, there's a built-in profit in that. So you're really helping. Even if you if you if you can just eat there, you're doing good. If you can afford to pay a little more, you're really helping. And for people that you know need to pay a little less, you know that that balances that yeah. out. But the important thing is that it's about social responsibility because we really um, laid the groundwork for people to participate in the community, and it was really about a hand up rather than a handout. So if you had no money, you could volunteer and earn meals. And there was all kinds of people volunteering, too, so you, it wasn't a stigma. Some people just loved the concept. Some people just, you know, worked five hours for, for lunch. It's really great community. Yes, and it's it's never bad. Sometimes maybe 
out there, but never bad to be ahead of its time in this case. Uh, we're speaking with Denise Serretta, who started the One World Cafe in 2003 in Salt Lake City, Utah, which now has actually become a national and even international model. And your cafe idea, you have been taking much, much further um, into now a movement um, teaching on a national and international level of how those cafes can feed and can create and build communities. And we want to hear all about that in the second part of our conversation with you. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be right back. Our topic today is May All Be Fed, the Pay What You Can restaurant. Stay tuned. Here comes the sun, little darling. At Eden Foods, we've always strived to have a strong, positive impact on farming practices and food processing techniques. As the oldest natural and organic food company in North America, our business practices and products endeavor to contribute to a peaceful evolution on Earth. We encourage everyone to be knowledgeable, discerning, and proactively involved buyers, as we are. Look for organic grains, beans, beverages, and more by Eden Foods at your local co-ops, natural food stores, and online at EdenFoods.com. Do you have a passion for healing through healthful organic food? Become an expert in nutrition, the prevention of illness, and the promotion of optimal health. The Bowman College Distance Learning Program is a convenient, self-paced program that prepares you for a successful career as a nutrition consultant in your own home, on your own time, in a way that's organic to you. Start on your path to holistic health today with the Bowman College Distance Learning Program. Find out more at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Are you committed to green, socially responsible, and sustainable business practices? Percepticon can help with eco-friendly internet solutions, website design services, e-commerce solutions, mobile apps, and high-performance internet hosting for your business. Percepticon is a full-service agency that specializes in web consulting, strategy, and technology development, so you can successfully communicate with your audience. Lighten your tech footprint in a green hosting environment. Call Percepticon today at 925-937-9000 or visit them at Percepticon. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Wilkay. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today we're talking about an effort to bring together community through the very, very actual act of eating. In 2003, a woman in Salt Lake City, Utah, had the crazy idea of opening a restaurant where it is left up to the guests, to the patrons, to decide how much they want to pay for their meal. With us is Denise Serreta, who started the One World Cafe. So Denise, at the beginning of our interview, you mentioned that you are in New Mexico right now and you had been consulting with a couple of community cafes there. You have changed what you're doing now. You've opened this foundation, started this foundation called One World Everybody Eats Foundation. Tell us about how you've taken this concept of the pay what you can restaurant further to allow more people to follow this lead. Yes, and in 2006, we um, started the nonprofit One World Everybody Eats Foundation, and we realized that we felt our biggest contribution was to mentor other people in different communities and help them put in a community cafe. So we started to do that. We have a it's a total, totally volunteer um, program where we offer educational materials, hands-on mentoring, etc. And we've 
Um, we've probably helped over 32 cafes now that exist nationally. And there's one to open in Amsterdam soon. And we hold an annual summit this every January over Martin Luther King weekend. So this um, coming year in 2014, it'll be in Austin, Texas, where we invite people from that have cafes to meet people in the planning stages. So again, we're focused on building community there. That's so great. Network and share ideas. Wow, <laughs> that's really great. How is that um, received in in countries around the world? Like, for example, Amsterdam, very socially minded, but you are taking it a step further. Of course, what was their first response? Why why, why their excitement around this? Well, we we let people contact us. So, someone from Holland had read about the concept. They called us. We mentored them. They're very excited. It will be called <laughs> Gift Cafe. And I believe in, in um, it's pronounced in Dutch, Gief Cafe. <laughs> but please excuse my pronunciation. Um, but they're very open-minded, very excited. I, we truly believe that this will work in any community, in any, any um, place in the world. Community, if it's not already there, it's waiting to happen. And... Um, We really believe that in addition to serving food, at the end of the day, community is being built. And if we really are connected and know who each other are, we won't, you know, allow someone to be hungry or out of work or, you know, depressed. Well, we can solve a lot of our own social and economic problems. Yes, which comes, which goes right back to where we started the show in that quote, you know, loneliness is an undiagnosed disease, which you were saying, and you wanted to change that. And so you have a, ca a cafe where people come together, which is where community and empathy and compassion can all be in the same room. Are you really seeing some remarkable changes in the places that you've been and the places that you're encouraging to do this where loneliness is actually um, fading away because people are actually being in communi community with each other? Mm -hmm. I, I definitely am, Mark. I feel that um, you see people, first of all, the, the venues serve really good, healthy, organic local food that everybody deserves to eat if they want. And when people are food insecure, they usually don't have the budget to, to choose those items. And so it really draws people from every socioeconomic um, area in a community. And people that normally wouldn't get a chance to meet and have a conversation, most of the cafes have a community table. They allow people to seat themselves. So people feel free to interact. So, yes, I'm definitely seeing community being built, which, and um, I think ending loneliness was my own personal epiphany when I was in, in the healthcare field. But I still feel, I definitely feel it's part of it. I don't, I don't want to overlay that onto the foundation. I really, sure, sure. my definite, definitely my awareness and our awareness is that we are serving food, but we're really, I think, truly building community. Yeah, what I love about this concept and your work, Denise, is that in a restaurant setting, 
um, I feel much more in line with the mission of feeding the person next to me than, um, you know, having a knock at the door and asking for $10 to donate to, uh, uh, you know, well worthwhile and great cause. But in a restaurant setting, I know Cafe Gratitude um, here on the West Coast, there are concepts now where there's a community bowl. If you pay a little bit more or even if you want to pay $7 over your dinner, um, somebody else, you know, a homeless person or whoever needs food who doesn't have the money <clears throat> in that moment um, gets fed. And being being fed in that moment myself, of course I want the next person to be fed just like me. It's so directly related. You're, you're actually extending your meal to have dinner with somebody that you may never meet. But um, that's really what it feels like. It's such a beautiful, directly related concept. It's, again, one world, everybody eats foundation.org, all one world. Uh, one world and one word, one world, <laughs> everybody eats foundation.org. How can people support you best? What, what do you need the most right now in order to make this um, a, a true movement and expand your work further? Mm -hmm. I, I would say just get online, look at what we have to offer. We list groups that are, that are open on a Google map. We have groups in the planning stages by state and country. So if you do, want to get involved, look and see if there's anything in your area and contact them. All their information is there. Great. And just get involved locally. And, and Denise, I just have to finish up with a question here. So what's that voice telling you to do now? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> I know. And, and, of course, you weren't ready for it before either, so that's why I asked. It's Exactly. Oh, that's so. That's so apropos. Well, honestly, what I mean, I'm very excited about the foundation and what's what's snowballing. And my initial commitment was to always stay involved till I saw that snowball rolling. And I think I'll always be involved. But we've um, currently expanded our board. We have executive directors, so we can really. I used to go on location all the time, and now I can say, um, you know, you. you uh, Oh, you're in New Jersey. Well, go go see these people in New York That's or great. go see Soul Kitchen in New Jersey and this and that. And so for myself personally, um, I'm shifting gears a little bit, and I'm currently writing a, a book called Leap based on um, how people can take a, a leap in their life, but it's, but it's a work and a, it's a book and a workbook. So basically... Um, a guidebook of how to people's community. Yeah, a little guidebook. So I'm still, I'm still kind of in the same <laughs> genre, but I guess <laughs> we all keep keep um, you know going down our our path and. But it's nice. It's nice to right to have that infrastructure of support so that you can, you know, really kick some uh, melon. That's wonderful. And feed more communities and bring communities together. Again, that's Denise Serretta, who started with one cafe where uh, you could pay whatever you wanted to, um, to bring community together. The One World Cafe, now One World, Everybody Eats Foundation.org, um, is at work since 2006. Um, wonderful, wonderful work throughout the country and even internationally now. Um, in our show this week, Pay What You Can Restaurants May All Be Fed. Thank you so much, uh, Denise. Wonderful to have you, and good luck in your in your future endeavors. Thank you, and, and 
I really appreciate all the work that you three are doing to help bring some goodness to the world. Yes, uh, we just need to spread the good work everyone is doing. So <laughs> thanks for your inspirational work. And the next time you're in, next time you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, look me up and I'll gladly give you another basket of strawberries that you will just blow your mind. <laughs> oh, you, oh, yeah. you were the one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, Denise. Thanks, Denise. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. That's, an, again, a conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Wonderful story. And coming up is another wonderful story, the produce tip of the week, what's in season with Mark Mulcahy. So we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Produce is ever-changing. Seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Hi, my name is Peter Van Stolk. And I'm the CEO of Spud.com. Spud was founded on the belief that fresh, organic foods should be made easily accessible to everyone. Spud stands for Sustainable Produce Urban Delivery. And we do just that. Delivering 100% organic produce and high-quality grocery items to homes and offices throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, Los Angeles, Seattle, and British Columbia. Visit us at Spud.com. The Farmer Veteran Coalition is a nonprofit organization dedicated to provide veterans with resources, education, and technical assistance to prepare them to become successful farmers. After serving their country, many veterans are interested in working with the land but do not have a background in farming or ranching. Help the Farmer Veteran Coalition to assist veterans in starting a new career in sustainable agriculture. For more information, please visit farmvetco.org. That's farmvetco.org. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And ta-ta-ta-ta, here's the weekly tip of what's going on in the world of produce. Strawberries, I heard, have started uh, national and international movements when placed right. <laughs> it's not strawberry season, but what is it, Mark? Here's Mark Mulcahy with What's in Season. Well, it actually is the beginning of real beginning of California strawberry season. Um, yes, you, you're right <laughs> on track. Um, and today what we wanted to talk about is, um, you know, spring holidays and meals around spring holidays and uh, Easter and, you know, what's coming up in the marketplace. And so Earl and I were going to talk about things like asparagus and potatoes and are they a value now? Will they be good for your meal? Those types of things. So um, I'm going to get Earl on the line, um, get Earl Herrick. The, from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco, the voice of the of the produce market. Earl, are you there? Hello, Mark. Can you oh, hear yes. Earl, hello. <laughs> Yay. So, hey, how y'all doing? We're doing great. We're so, doing Earl, great. so, Earl, you know, right now, everybody's been eating 
pears and everybody's been eating, you know. You told us to last week. Absolutely. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, I will always tell you to do the, those things. but And that's fine. But right now, you know, people are going, okay, I'm planning maybe an Easter menu or a, or a, or a spring uh, equinox menu or something so like that. And so, you know, people are looking at asparagus and strawberries and potatoes and, and maybe beans or peas or something like that. What's the market looking like out there for uh, people who are planning meals? Well, the market looks pretty pretty darn good, yeah, and we're 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 pretty happy that the traditional meal is on um, this time of year is represented pretty well with vegetables. Everybody's in that spring uh, flavor, if you will, and asparagus is the traditional coming of season, and it's, the production is just now hitting its groove out of the Salinas Valley, which has the biggest production in the world, actually, or at least in, in, in uh, United States. So asparagus volume is good, and the demand is very good. So you're not going to find any promotional, promotable pricing, but you'll be able to find a lot of product. So not a lot of product on sale is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, this time of year, everything's emerging. You know, most of the product is still coming from the winter districts. So uh, there's very little local production. Whatever there is, the demand is outstepping the supply. Now, that doesn't sure. mean you're not going to find it. You're just not going to get real good pricing. And what about the quality? Quality is excellent. We've had a great spring, at least in terms of growing. You know, we always are in need of more water, and that's a, that's another day, another topic. But it's been a mild winter. There haven't been any damaging rains. So since the freeze in January, the weather's been darn perfect. So product is uh, very good quality. There's sufficient numbers. I just wouldn't say there's an abundance. Okay, is that, true. is that true for peas and trees for beans and for strawberries yeah. too? Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the peas are just starting. The beans took a pretty big hit in January. It stunted some uh, plants, so the production's down. And the fact is, you know, there's just not enough organic beans being grown. So, you know, I'm a bean lover, and that's always a problem. But there will be beans around for for the holiday. Again, you'll find product, but no, uh, no real promotable pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, strawberries. Still coming out of the Baja and maybe Oxnard and Orange County, Southern California. Uh, fair amount of product. We have seen occasional rain interruptions, so that kind of cuts into the production. Quality is very good, great flavor. Uh, I think you probably expect to pay maybe four ninety nine for a one-pound container. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the blueberries, now they're California. They're just coming in. Prices are going to be pretty high, but the quality is very, very good, and the product is very, very solid. Great flavor on the on the California blueberries. And you know, a lot of a lot of people eat potatoes during some of these meals, and potatoes are old crop now, so we both know that. But is pricing is pricing stable, or is it a little bit high now because it's the end of the crop, or what? Yeah, it is a little high because we went through. You know, there's a period of time about a month or so ago where some wintered over potatoes come into market. And the quality is great, and prices uh, stabilize pretty well, but that's over, so we're waiting for the new crop. So prices are still pretty high. Quality is nothing special, um, but you can find you can find what you want. It's just not a great time to, again, try to stock up on potatoes. Sure. You know, wait for, wait for later. Sure. So with potatoes, Earl, I remember, you know, in our cellar having potatoes for four, five, six months, the potatoes you're now getting that are not yet this season, are they flavor-wise, you said, you know, nothing too famous, but, um, you know, how how have potatoes held up? Are smaller ones better fingerlings over the big russet, or is there, you know, is there mm-hmm. a, a, a guide book that yeah. you can give us or a tip of how to pick at least the best you can from the stored ones? 
sure, if you can find a specialty, specialty potato like a fingerling or a ruby crescent, something along those lines, that I think is a preferred potato right now. They're a little smaller, so they're they're not they're not so large that they're going to be soft and sprouting on you. There are russets around. Quality's pretty iffy. There'll be some sprouting. Um, so I would I would focus on the specialty potatoes if and when you can find them. Expect to pay you know, pretty good money for that specialty potato. Well, well that's invaluable, Earl. Now people can at yes. least go out and they know what kind of quality and what kind of uh, prices and things they're going to be paying. So, again, the voice of the market has given us his bit of wisdom today. <laughs> so, Earl, yeah. I would recommend that you take the rest of the day off and go watch some baseball or something like that. <laughs> I, I'm totally prepared to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us again, Earl. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. And for listeners, a couple of those quick things. Earl was talking about potatoes. If you're bringing potatoes home, I know you tell, to, I tell you never to put them in the fridge, but probably now, if any time during the year, you can, they'll, they'll hold off on their sprouting if you keep them in the fridge. Just remember to bring them out on the counter before you eat them so it changes that sugar back to starch. If you're looking for asparagus, you want a nice, firm stock with a really tight, tight tip. Um, and then for strawberries, remember, if you get them home, don't cut them before you're going to eat them because you lose up to 50% of your vitamin C. Yeah, so don't take that Halix off. Don't take that, calyx. Don't take that calyx off or the Halix. <laughs> um, and, uh, and lastly, if you want a really fun idea, I was sitting with Katrina Fry the other day and we were talking about Altafo mangoes. And if you look at an Altafo mango, it's the yellow one that has kind of a little S shape. It actually looks like a little chick. So you can take these and then you can stick them on your table and, and put little eyes on them and you know that'd be a nice little Easter table a centerpiece for a vegan Easter decoration. Yeah, or anybody eat, Have it would look, it would, eat your mango too. That's right. That's right. And if you want a mango lesson, we can talk about that another time. So <laughs> yes. that's what's in season. And Katrina Fry, of course, is from Fry Vineyards. One of our wonderful partners. And yeah, that little, what is it, an artufo? It's an altofo, yeah. Altofo. Mm -hmm. It really looks like a little hatched chicken. <laughs> cheap, 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 cheap. Great Easter decoration. Smart, Thank Mark. you, Mark. Not just yeah. the health benefits, but the aesthetic benefits of produce this week. Always. Fun. <laughs> Well, Helga, we're at the time of the show where we're wrapping up and looking for a little bit of organic wisdom. Do you have an organic moment this week? Yeah, it's not, I mean, organic. Organic is, for me, the study of relationships, ecology organic. So it's not per se about organic agriculture, but it is about, um, you know, surprises in life. Um, I saw the cover of Common Ground. It's a wonderful San Francisco Bay Area magazine on holistic living and well-being um, of people and planet, go to commongroundmag.com and take a look. Their current cover features a pomegranate, kind of half cut, um, which reminded me of my first encounter with that fruit years and years back. It must have been seven or eight years old when my family and I were traveling through Morocco, northern Africa, which is really just a five-hour or so flight from Germany. Um, we were visiting Fez, uh, a desert city as exotic and Arabian beautiful as you can possibly imagine, with buildings full of mosaics, thousands of years old, overcrowded souks, the daily farmer's market equivalent, um, and, and people, you know, working with snakes and baskets. I mean, really incredible. Um, we were walking through the city with these old, big old military walls, and it's in the desert, so everything is covered in dust. Everything is sand-colored. The people, the buildings, the whole landscape 
um, with no green whatsoever. Actually, there was not a blade of green or flower or any colorful vegetable as far as I possibly remember. Um, so as far as plant life goes in the city itself, everything is just barren dirt and sand. Our guide brought us to a tree that looked completely dead with coconut-sized coconut globes hanging everywhere. I had never seen a tree like that. And again, it looked completely lifeless. He picked one of those globes and broke it open in his hands. And a burst of red juice lit up the entire city, it seemed. It was the only color, really, in that completely sandy backdrop. And that brought out the extreme red fleshy color of the pomegranate even more. It was amazing. I don't remember if I actually liked the taste back then when he handed me a piece, but that experience stuck with me for years and years. It made me realize now that however gray or dire things may appear at times, always be prepared for a burst full of color, especially when you least expect it. And that's my organic moment for this week. That's really poignant, Helga. I um. I read a quote that that reminds me of the story that you're saying, which is nobody wants or expects any pain, but you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. <laughs> and Mark, well, <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I, and speaking of rainbows, so somewhere over the rainbow in the Wizard of Oz, when I was growing up, the, the whole first part of the show is in black and white, and then when they land in Oz, they open the door, and it's this whole kind of really, it's all exactly. color, right? And there was no color TV until right around that time, so it was right. a really a phenomenal thing as a kid to go, well, it oh my goodness. called Technicolor, like yeah, they literally colored, colored afterwards. It, yeah. They went into the film and put color over it. Uh, and when you were saying Emerald that, Helga, beautiful. yeah, for the Emerald City, just for Oz itself, and I just was like, oh my goodness. And when you were saying that, yes, it does occur in life. And even in the bleakest of places is yes. where it's actually most ready to surprise you. In the palm you. of your hand. Yeah, in the palm right of your there. hand. Absolutely. And that was this week's edition of An Organic <laughs> Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. Studio engineer, Robert Costa. Underwriting production, Mark Van Gelder. Thank you all. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or OrganicConversation.com. And you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We're your hosts, Helga Helber. Mark Bokehi. And Situ Ronnie Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Step inside this house, girl. I sing for you a song. Tell you about this.